What's up, everybody? Armand here, back with another episode. Today's guest, we have Puya Hadari. He's worked with and coached multiple seven to eight figure businesses and over thousand sales professionals. So we talk about how he started his own practice, um, how he actually came from Iran at 10 years old, and we talk about the, the immigrant hustle mindset that you get from that. And we also talk about hunger and drive for success, the kind of thing that you can't teach, and his love for learning and curiosity. We have an, another really great conversation, and probably what I took the most out of this conversation was how we talked about he consciously consciously made a successful life for himself he chose what his definition of success is and then went after it and is doing that he's living a really great life i love the stuff he talked about he travels all the time he invests in himself uh yeah i think there's a lot that you could take from this episode and i really hope that you enjoy this episode of the play hard podcast work hard play hard work hard I, mean, this, I knew this would come. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But you know I'm, what? Let's, let's, let's take a positive. Let's yeah. take a positive approach. I'm happy to be the first. Yeah, it's not a problem. Yeah, this is. Hey, I mean, at least we got the get to know you part down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I've been enjoying it so far, and uh, we can uh, start from right at right at the top. Right at the top. All right. What's up, listener? So today's guest, we have Puya Hadari. So he's a sales trainer and a business consultant currently running his own practice. And he's consulted just multiple eight to nine figure companies and thousands of individuals on sales. Uh, and something very special happened. He's the first time I ever forgot to hit record at the start of the show. Thankfully, we were only about five to 10 minutes in. You guys aren't missing out on much. Uh, but we were just having a really great conversation on the the similarities and entrepreneurial hustles of immigrants. Puya comes from Iran, and we were just talking about how when you're not allowed the same kind of like freedoms and luxuries that you get here in the U.S., you don't take them as much for granted, and it really just sharpens and shapes your drive to be an entrepreneur out of necessity, not because it's something everyone wants to do. Yeah, Puya, you got anything to say on there? Anything to touch well, on? Well, first of all, now that we're officially recording, thank you for having me. Yeah, <laughs> it's good to be uh, <laughs> it's good to be on here, and uh, I'm excited to be talking to you. And uh, yeah, we can do a quick recap of yeah. everything we've just been discussing. So you asked me where this drive for entrepreneurship comes from, and I was just referencing that I have to go all the way back to where I was born and raised to answer that question, which is Iran. I was born there, lived there for the first 10 years of my life. Uh, that comes with its own challenges, by the way, that yeah, is a whole podcast we could get into, uh, just the challenges of growing up there and everything that comes with day-to-day life. And um yeah, and then moved over here to the western side of the world and saw all the opportunities, the abundance of opportunities that we have here. And that led me to wanting to uh, create a life for myself that's meaningful. Uh, I wanted to do more with all the opportunities that I was given, and uh, which led me into looking at business, which led me into self-education, investing a lot in myself, deciding just based on – you were referring to this earlier, actually, before we got recording – it's nature and nurture. I think it's yeah. both. It's yeah. upbringing, I circumstance, agree. luck. Pure luck is a part of it. Uh, and then it's nurture too. You know, your natural inclinations, uh, you know, just all the things that are within your natural circle of competence. So after looking at both, I wanted to uh, go the dire- direction of sales, direction of business, which is mm-hmm. why I even got started on this path. And uh, that's a bit of the background for your audience yeah. that is now listening. And I, I definitely want to touch on what about sales 
kind of pulled you in. But real quick, I'm really curious about how those first 10 years were and like, what were the circumstances of you leaving? And I ask that because my dad left El Salvador around that time. Like, I think he was 11, 12. And it was because of a, a terrible civil war that was running through his country. And it was just not safe even for kids of that age to be there. And I noticed, like, you talk about the immigrant mentality, like he, to me, he's my definition of the American dream. Uh, because he came here with pretty much nothing from a war-torn country, very terrible. He goes to high school, goes to a, like a really good school, goes to college, and then he starts working. He lives the corporate life, realizes that's not for him. He wants to have his own practice, so he starts his own company. And now he's like doing very well for himself in cybersecurity. And all along the way, he did it in a way that's like... I just respect the hell out of him, dude. I, I mentioned in another episode, he started com like he started this company while me and another like my brother were in college and we were not in cheap schools. And mm -hmm. it's just like his ability to take risks. Risk to him is it's not the same as someone like me who grew up here. Like he knows the value of a real risk like that. So, um, yeah, just like what are the circumstances yeah. of you leaving and, and how did that affect you? Sure. So first of all, that's definitely respectable, uh, everything your dad accomplished. And you're right. The, the definition of risk for somebody who is an immigrant who came from a different part of the world is completely different because the risk that they took and, uh, you know, my family as well to even get here are far greater than the risks you would face in business or whatever else it might be. Although both are important in their own rights, yeah. uh, your definition of risk changes. Also, just your bandwidth for handling challenges, handling pressure. Uh, all of that changes as well, which is always why I have this behind me and I reference it all the time. When huh. Only when this conversation comes up, only when the immigrant mentality or sort of what are some of the traits that define me come up, I always reference this here. The black says pressure, the red says pressure is a privilege. And I look at it that way. <laughs> I like you that. Know, I, I look at it as I honestly was lucky to be born and raised different part of the world where it was way more difficult, where it was way more challenging because now I have a drive and a fuel inside me that I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to be honest. Somebody who's born here can never have. It's not possible. You can't compete with me. Not you. Somebody who's born here. And I know you were too, so technically yeah. it is. But you know, <laughs> there are obviously individuals like yourself. You seem very driven. You're obviously in business, podcasting, all that. But the average person is just not going to compete with that type of drive because it comes from a real place of pressure that formed that drive, that fire, right? So to me, it is a privilege. Like it's an opportunity. And I tell everybody, you know, if you don't have pressure in your life, manufacture it, create pressure in your life, actually do it yourself, fabricate that pressure because even fabricated pressure is better than a life of just complacency and comfort. So that's a huge one. I just wanted to yeah. touch on the immigrant mentality part. I, I agree. This is actually a conversation my brothers and I have is like, how do we, having grown up like honestly privileged like very thankful for very thankful for what my dad's provided but at the same time my brother and i like how are we that drive has we have to draw from somewhere else to bring that drive like rather than being like i need to forge through and like make this of myself it our place has to be like we are blessed that we got a lot as a kid so how can we give that back to people who aren't as blessed like it's a different it's like a shift it's somewhere else but that drive does have to come from somewhere and i totally agree and one thing i like that you said before we were recording is you've built a successful life about around yourself 
So what were some of the, th- I, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that was a conscious decision. What were the things that you did and like the conscious choices you made to have a successful life? And like, how do you define that for yourself? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, for your listeners, uh, who are tuned into this, I want to make sure we go back and answer your previous question because I didn't, I completely dodged it. I was excited about the immigrant question and the the pressure question. So I didn't answer, uh, what it was like the first 10 years of growing up in Iran. Uh, I love to listen to podcasts myself. So I always, it it bothers the hell out of me when I listen to a podcast and questions go unanswered Yeah, and they forget about it. Yeah, the host and the guest always forget about it. They keep the conversation moving. But as the listener, I'm always thinking, what was the answer to that? Uh, so just want to answer that quickly. I'll keep it brief, and then we'll go into uh, a successful life and all of that as well. Perfect. So the first 10 years uh, in Iran, obviously being born and raised there, uh, it was it's already challenging living there. Uh, I don't know how much you know about the Middle East or just uh, a lot of other even uh, third world countries where uh, inflation is rampant and ridiculous numbers of inflation in the hundreds of percentiles. Like we can't yeah. even imagine or fathom that type of inflation. Uh, there are obviously no, dude, I have a sculpture, this like real quick sidebar. I have this like in my house cause my parents got it in Colombia. It's like this really nice, like hand folded origami, like massive animal made entirely of Venezuelan currency cause it's worth nothing. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's kind of what the inflation you're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. So that type of inflation obviously creates a ton of challenges where people can't even afford food and day-to-day stuff. Uh, you're either extremely well off or you're not at all. So there's almost no in between. Uh, the middle is almost wiped out in a lot of these countries and, uh, there are political challenges. There are challenges with freedom. Like I was saying right earlier, uh, you know, you'll never catch somebody like me complaining. I never have. I never will because I'm just so grateful on a day to day basis. I genuinely feel this. This is not made up. I'm not faking this. Like I would tell you, I'm a very transparent person. I'll be direct with you. I'm extremely grateful every day. That's, that's literally my motto for life. Always grateful, never satisfied. I'm grateful every single day, but I also have this fire inside me that I don't think will ever be satisfied or fulfilled. So it's a constant dance in there. Uh, but that gratitude comes from that. You know, you'll never catch me complaining because I know what it's like, uh, elsewhere. So it gives you a lot of perspective, but anyways, already challenging enough. And, uh, I actually grew up, uh, raised by three females in the family, uh, my mom, older sister, and my grandmother. So uh, my dad actually wasn't there. The first time I met my dad, I was 10 years old. Wow. So that came with its own challenges and uh, created a lot more. Somebody in my position in that uh, part of the world either has to completely crumble under the pressure or rise up to the occasion and be the man of the house and uh, really tap into those, I guess you could say, masculine roles. Um, and that's exactly what I did. I took the latter route and, uh, I think that that's what forged a lot of my character and, uh, you know, some of those challenges again. So that's to give you the overall glimpse, what it was like, uh, being born and raised there first 10 years, again, very challenging, uh, you know, a lot of difficulties, a lot of ups and downs. And by the way, there was never a guarantee that we could actually make it and come here. So imagine living with that thought of wanting to make that move and, Obviously, you know, my father was already traveling and he was here and settled and he was trying to bring us over. But, uh, you know, there was never a guarantee. That's why it took so long. And, you know, so living with that thought also comes with its own challenges. Uh, But that's what it was like. And again, this is why on the positive side of things, uh, when I do come here and I do see the differences and I do see the abundance of opportunity and 
just abundance in every way, the freedom here, uh, that's when I decide, you know, I can't waste this opportunity. I have to make the most of it. So what am I going to do? And that's when I was faced with all these decisions of, do I pursue school and get a PhD and do that? Do I want to get into business? Because whatever I was going to do, I was going to take it all the way, right? So it was really a matter of what decision. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's a re- that that's right. That right there is where you get that really powerful mindset. And I really like that you said the gratitude thing. I, I for the listeners, it is true. Like when before the episode, I was like, "Damn, this is the first time this happened." And he was like, "Well, I'm thankful to be the first where <laughs> I didn't hit record." But problem solved. Uh, all right, now on to the successful life question. Yeah. So uh, if you can refresh me on your question, it was how do I define a successful life? And what were the conscious choices you made to build that successful life for yourself? Yeah, so I, I love you that you put that into two different parts because I think it's important to look at both aspects before actually answering that question. Yeah. Uh, one and the more important side of that question would be how do I define success? Uh, there are a couple of ways that I look at that. One thing that I read a while ago from Ray Dalio, uh, famous investor, he's written a couple of great books, one on my top shelf right yeah. there, Principles. The principles. For I love that book. Yeah. So one thing that he said is your measure of wealth is defined by what you want to accomplish. So if you want to be, you know, let's say as an example, Bill Gates and cure the world of malaria or whatever else, you might need a couple hundred million bucks, right? Uh, If you want to be a solo uh, traveler, like a vagabond type of individual, have an online, you know, business, have a blog, you know, whatever else and travel the world and live in hostels and or have your own apartment in whatever different part of the world. Maybe you need 50 grand a year and that's more than enough to sustain yourself. And that's your measure of wealth based on how you want to live, what you want to accomplish. Uh, I'm a big believer in that. I genuinely think you need to know what your North Star is. And work towards that. Define that for yourself. What is success for you? So for some, it's being a school teacher. For some, it's being an entrepreneur, business owner, whatever. So whatever success is for you, define it. And then that's your North Star. And live on those terms. Live on your own terms. That's the more important part of that. Because uh, as the saying goes, there's no worse failure than success without fulfillment. That's the ultimate failure, right? Because you're monetarily successful and i think your dad you said earlier had that experience where he went into the corporate world had that success but then realized you know i, I want something different i want to venture out yeah, on my own. he made he did really well uh, back to the immigrant immigrant grind like at a young age i realized what now as i get older i look back and i see like at a young age what he was able to do at his company i was like damn that's really impressive but he couldn't stand the he was working for like a really big oil and gas company like you can only imagine how mm-hmm how much like politicking was done in, in those office rooms. And he just like, couldn't stand the fact that like he saw positive change that he could make, but it wasn't, um, they didn't care about that. It was all only about profits. And so he decided to go into, I mean, he was always in it. So he decided to go into cybersecurity and start his own thing. And yeah, I can see that's a lot better for him. Exactly. And I remember that. And I referenced that because I resonated with that. I was also in the corporate world had pretty, high levels of success. Uh, and it was only heading in that same direction, that same trajectory, but I decided to completely change paths, change directions. Um, and a lot of people thought it was crazy at the time, but for me, it was the exact same thing. I wanted to venture out on my own for all those reasons. And really, again, live a life on my own terms because I had that high level of monetary success at a very young age. Um, by 23, I was already making multiple six figures shareholder in a bunch of companies and on my path to, you know, multiple seven figure, uh, streams. Yeah. And to step away from that and completely start from zero and say, I want to start my own thing. I want to venture out. I want to split 
um, it was a it was a big decision. But again, I didn't see myself doing that for the next three, five, seven, ten years. And for me, I think long term. If I don't see myself committing to something all the way, and I'm even in my thoughts, I'm halfway out. I'm just gonna check out all the way. I'm just gonna, and I don't mean check out, but stay there. I mean quit, resign, move on. Yeah, uh, because I got to be all in or all out. It's one or the other. I think that may be also something that comes with the immigrant mentality or just how we how we act. I don't know. It might be. Uh, but I'm like that in every way. So for me, I thought about three, five, seven, ten years. What does success on my own terms, life on my own terms looks like? Well, one thing that I want to do is I want to travel a lot. I want to have that time freedom and, uh, I want to do what I'm doing, but on a larger, more international scale. So I thought to myself, I'm stuck right now in the B2B world, in the corporate world. A lot of our contracts are B2B. We have offices I have to be in. I'm helping build sales teams where it's very much taking up 12, 13 hours of my days. Uh, this is just not going to lead there. I, I yeah. can stay here and continue to stack up money, but the lifestyle won't be there. And in those years, I'm not going to be building something that I can look back on and say, I, I, I built the right thing. So, uh, it was an easy enough decision for me to, to pivot. And, uh, I'm very glad I did now in hindsight, you know, I, I do four to six week travels all over the world yeah, that's uh, sick. pretty frequently. And, and I do a lot of that and, you know, none of that came by accident, which we can now go into the second part of your question. How did I go about creating that? But, uh, first I'll leave it to you if you have any comments or thoughts on that. Uh, put a pin in the fact that I do want to ask and see if you've gone back to Iran in your travels and see if okay. you spent time there. Um, okay, but we'll, we'll talk we'll about that. Yeah. On the, on the traveling and the hobby side. Uh, but no, yeah, that's, that's really great. I love Ray Dalio and the book principles has helped a lot in my own shaping of just like I've, I've always believed it's important to have values in my life, but he's helped a lot with shaping of the like application of those values. And I think it's really cool. I think a lot about that, like cycle that he has of like, you try, fail, learn, mm -hmm. repeat until you like, in theory, go up and to the right. But sometimes it the chart looks a little more fucked up normally, but that's mm -hmm. kind of like the goal. Um, yeah, big fan. It's very simplified, but I think you're right. It's very actionable. It, it gets the message across. So that's, that's what I love about it as well. Um, so first part would be that I think everybody listening should really define success for themselves. And also what does life on your terms look like? Get clear on that because you can't live a life on your own terms if you don't even know what your terms are. So clarify that first and foremost, what's your North star? What do you want to do for the next three, five, seven, ten 10 years? Uh, I, this is my test for that, for this. Anytime people ask me, you know, should I pursue this or should I pursue that? I have multiple businesses. Which one should I do? Should I go to school? Not, I always tell people, at a minimum for the next three years. Okay. I'm taking, I'm being generous here because really I would say five to seven, but let's say three years for the next three years. What do you want to do? Seven days a week, seven days a week, no days off, uh, 10, 12 hours a day. You'd be okay doing that. And you want to commit at that level to it. Would you do that with XYZ business? Oh, definitely not. There's no way I would do that <laughs> seven days a week, 12 hour days for the next three years. All right, check. The person who's willing to do that is going to beat you in that line of work. That's guaranteed. So forget right, about right. that altogether. You're not going to compete with somebody like me in that business if you're not willing to commit to it that way. And then, okay, let's go through your options. And that's a quick test you can apply. What are you willing to do for the next three years, seven days a week, 12 hours a day to make, to get the results? And uh, that's uh, that proves out the concept of this is something you should be pursuing. Um, to answer your question around how I went about consciously doing this, simply put, I prioritize investing in myself. I prioritize self-education. So I looked under every single rock I could find for the right information. So I read every book there is. Uh, I went to uh, business conferences, seminars. I traveled all over the country. 
uh, going everywhere, trying to build relationships, networking, making connections, uh, trying to reach up and actually meet a lot of high level people, which I did and build some relationships there. But also just even the average person who, you know, I was sitting at some conference, I see them in the hallway, we start talking, turns out they run a business that's doing three, four million a year in revenue. And I'm a, you know, 17 year old kid at the time. And to me, that's extremely, you know, impressive. And oh my God, I get to talk yeah. to a multimillionaire, you know, at the time. So I get to pick their brain. I had one question I would ask everybody. I would tell whatever age I was at. So I would change it based on that. So I would say, knowing everything you know today, if you could go back to your 17 year old self, what would be the single piece of advice you'd give yourself? Just one. And I got a variety of answers. Any, anywhere from don't do drugs to really articulate business strategies. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't ask follow-up questions. I just left it at that and uh, took away the answer. And I applied each of those answers and added them almost as layers to my own character. And uh, that's basically what I did. And, you know, it, it seems in hindsight, it all seems like a natural, smooth progression. But it was a lot of ups and downs, a lot of different, you know, industries I worked in, hard days, even harder days, really good days, you know, yeah. and then here we are today. I think... Yeah, it's it's usually we look back and see the good side of things that happen. I think like when things end, you tend to get imprinted with however that ending went. And a lot of times if it's you or your life, like things you, you tend to look at it with rosy glasses. Like I look back to my childhood, I'm like, "Damn, that was so much fun, but I bet I forget all the tough times or the struggles." And I look the same in college. Like I know there were times I was super stressed out. Uh mm -hmm. didn't want to be there at all, but now I'm like, "God damn, I wish I had one more year." But anyways, um, that was more for the fun than for the education. I think that's mm -hmm. <laughs> school gets in the way of college, as they say. Uh, yeah, but yeah. what would you tell your 25-year-old self? I'm curious. My 25-year-old self, it's a good question. You know, you put me on the spot there because I don't want to give you any answer. I want to actually see what I would tell my 25-year-old self. Uh, right now, my 25-year-old self was already in business for myself. I was already running my own company. So... Right now, what I would say is just uh, to that individual uh, to just really prioritize the areas of the business that are directly moving the needle, generating revenue, and uh, double down on those, simplify the business, and stay on the path. That's that's basically it. That's because it, my, like at 25, I was already on the path. I'd yeah, already been through a decade of. Uh, you know, self-development, business, all of that, sales and so many different industries. So I didn't need to give myself any tactical advice. It was more uh, what I'm doing now, which is really streamlining and doubling down on the areas of the business that directly generate revenue, move the needle, uh, cutting out all, everything else uh, because it doesn't require capital, time, attention. Um, and then, yeah, just staying on the path, giving myself that reassurance. Yeah, I like that. And yeah, I, I have heard on, on the show before from founders... Um, Focusing on the stuff that does generate revenue and everything else is just kind of secondary. Not secondary, but you, you know what I mean. Like that's the stuff that you should really be putting your time and attention to. Uh, one guest in particular, I, I I was stuck on like how you should be building processes, and he was like, number one prioritization is focus on the stuff that brings money in your bank account. He was like invoicing process, like all these different things. That's what you should be really hammering home. And I was like, damn, that's good stuff. Yeah, you're talking to a guy right now that specializes in sales. Sales is what I do best. So you don't need to say it twice. I 100% agree with you. If it doesn't generate revenue or bring in money, it's not top priority. As the saying goes in business, sales solves all. When you have sales, client acquisition and client retention, you have new revenue coming in and recurring revenue coming in, 
everything else is handled. You'll have money to reinvest in your products and services. You'll have money to hire out. You'll have money to whatever, delegate, automate, whatever you want to do. But if you don't have sales coming in, you don't have a business. You have a hobby or a passion. So it's not only important, it's the only thing. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue because I wanted to get into the sales background. Uh, First, a couple of tactical questions that just came to my head. So how... How would you build a sales team that's uh, the flywheel's turning? Um, and I and I ask because I've I've noticed lots of sales teams have their ups and downs. Like, how do you build a sales team that's consistently performing? Like, is there a formula for that, or you just hire the right people and have? A- there definitely is a formula for that. Hiring is a part of that formula, but there definitely is a formula for that. Uh, sales teams that are high performing teams on a consistent basis come from a culture of high performers on a consistent basis. So the the leadership, what, whether it's you as the business owner, whether you have a larger corporation, which I've worked with as well, who have management teams and executives, and there are many layers to this chain, uh, the leadership on all levels has to live by that culture themselves. Because your sales teams, your salespeople, your new hires, your new employees in any department of your business, look and copy a very small percentage of your good habits and they copy all your negative habits. That's for sure. So you operate based on that principle. You know, you can't tell people to show up on time if you're not on time for meetings yourself. Uh, Mm, So the culture needs to be there first and foremost. So if you come in and show up six days a week, seven days a week, you, you do the work yourself. You put in the work. Um, If you are trained yourself, you take you know, responsibility for your own sales training, for being sharp, for uh, professionally handling your customers, for servicing your customers on the back end and fulfilling the products and services. If you do that to a high degree and hold yourself to that standard, then you can hold everybody else to that standard as well. You can't hold people to a standard you don't hold yourself to. So it all starts with the leadership, with the business owner, with the management, with the leadership. Once the culture is there, everybody who comes into that culture either swims or sinks. This is why I believe in hiring fast and firing fast. Um, I would hire a lot of people because I like to, again, it's the optimistic side of me, right? I like to give opportunities to a lot of people, but I'm optimistic, but I'm not naive. I'm also extremely business oriented and, and direct. And I've also fired a lot of people and I have no problem firing people. I have no problem firing people that I really like. Um, to this day, I'm good friends with and I give referrals to or references to people that I've fired who reach out to me all the time for help. And we have that great relationship because it's very clear. It's not personal. This is business. I I would hope that you expect me to make the right business decisions. Yeah. Right now, the right business decision is to cut you from this team, right? So, uh, you know, it's hire fast, fire fast. It's making sure the leadership has that culture in place so everybody else follows suit. And then, of course, it's having the right information, the right sales training, the right uh, drilling and practicing in place, the yeah. right scripts and processes in place. That's how you build a consistently high-performing team. Yeah, and even if you hire high performers, it's it's kind of like sometimes there there isn't the right seat on the bus for them. Like sometimes they just don't fit with that team. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, that's that's some pretty good stuff. And that, I, I like how you changed, you know, hire slow, fire fast. You hire, you give people chances, but you also don't overextend that chance. Yeah. If I, if I tell you some of the people I've hired, you wouldn't even believe it. I could tell you some off air. I'm not going to say them on air, uh, but I've given opportunities to people where I was uh, a shareholder and a high level executive in one company. 
Um, sometimes I hired people where the people that reported to me, but they're also management, like leadership, directors, executives would ask me, you know, you sure you want to hire these people? I mean, I don't know if we can trust this guy with our products and services. And I would tell them, let's put them through the training. Let's, uh, yeah, let's, I see something here. And then we would, and sometimes it would work out well. Sometimes it wouldn't within the first couple of days we would realize and we say, okay, you know what? You know, uh, unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to be a fit here. We want to be mindful of your time as well. So we just want to be very direct with you. We're always here for you in the future. If there's opportunities that come up, we're going to officially, right now, unfortunately, have to part ways. And it's very simple. It's an easy conversation to have. So I, I like the hire, hire fast and fire fast approach. And uh, to your point, I wouldn't even necessarily look for high performers or really sales trained people because a lot of times I was one of them myself later in my sales career when I was younger where they can be a, a bit of a diva. They can, you know, uh, be harder to maintain. You have yeah. to give them a bigger comp plan. You have to pay them more, whatever it might be, right? So a lot of times, like, I want the person who may not have the experience but is hungry and is coachable. The most important metrics to to see somebody's future, if they're going to be successful in sales and in business as well. If they're hungry because they have that drive to keep going, they're not going to be satisfied. Yeah. Uh, and also, if they're coachable. Are they going to listen? Do they think they know it all? You know, are they going to be willing to uh, change their behaviors, their patterns, their approaches if we correct them on it? So their ability those to take feedback. That's another one. Exactly. Exactly. So coachability and hunger, I think, are even more important than somebody who's very talented. You know, I have a decade of sales experience. Okay, yeah. that's great. But uh, it's going to be difficult to, like you said, fit that person into the team culture. Yeah, that makes sense because a lot of times in sales, like a traditional model of hiring and sales is who does this guy know? Like how big is his Rolodex? How how many of those customers can we bring into our company? And I've noticed sometimes it's that person's just simply not a fit for the company, whether they know the right people or not. And to your point on the, the coachability thing, like you can always train someone to learn the the skill of selling. But you can't teach that hunger. You can't train. You can't beat hunger into someone. That's just something they have no. or they don't. You're absolutely right. And you know, can somebody be uh, more naturally inclined to be better at sales? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm one of those people. You see a lot of uh, sales trainers, even some of the bigger names that you probably recognize, would tell you, "I was born an introvert," or "I was born not good at sales." I'm not like that at all. I don't know if those guys are being genuine or not. I can directly tell you. I've always had the gift of the gab or just genuinely been okay conversating or been more social. I've always had that. Yeah. Uh, now, on a personal side, am I an introvert? I mean, if that's even a thing, sure. Uh, I'm definitely more introverted than extrovert, if you want to call it that. I think we all have the potential to introvert and extrovert. I think it's more of a choice and uh, more of where our baselines are. So I don't really, uh, you know, I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to those just ideologies. Yeah. But- you know, speaking of sales, of course, you know, I, I would tell you I was more naturally inclined. Also, does the fact that I speak uh, three languages fluently and a couple others broken help? I think so. You know, English is my third language and uh, it helps because I can think differently. You know, you, you probably do you speak Spanish. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say I'm fluent, but I, I do speak it. Okay. But you do understand how, you know, when you're thinking in Spanish yeah. or trying to formulate like, a sentence, it's I a spend, different approach. Yeah, when I spend time with my family in Houston or like we did a two-week trip to Colombia and I was thinking and dreaming in Spanish. Like I was getting pretty into it and it was 
like I noticed what I could do a lot better in English. Um, I'm the same way in the sense that I mean I have a fucking podcast where I interview people. I love talking. Like this is my biggest thing. It's it was it was the gift that I truly believe was given to me since day one is the ability to talk, communicate, and connect with others. So that's why sales to me. I'm like yeah, I can do that. Um, comes naturally. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's it's not just it's not just a comes naturally. It's something I want to do all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to the thing like. I could be a lot better. I also think when I I speak and think at the same time. Like that's just how my brain works. I I'd sometimes, you know, talk to myself or I'll be like saying ideas out loud and they'll be in words and I I wish I could process things a little more in my head quietly and then say them out loud cuz as you can imagine it does get you in trouble sometimes. Yeah. But in Spanish, that's not the case because I do have to think about what I'm going to say, translate it, and then spit it out. So then I'm a lot more conscious and careful about my words. And I do feel a lot more like I know what I'm saying um, when I can pick the right words. <laughs> exactly. And the reason I brought that up, speaking multiple languages and having a natural inclination towards being good at sales uh, is because I believe being great at sales, being just a great communicator at a high level, whatever you want to apply that towards sales, yeah. being an entrepreneur, leading a team, whatever it is, it's all sales at the end of the day, relationships, whatever you want to apply it to. Being a great closer or a great communicator on all levels comes down to being uh, a creative problem solver and a creative problem solver in real time, always yeah. thinking with solutions, always finding different avenues to pursue to get to the end result. And I think when you speak multiple languages and you just think about how to formulate language, how to structure sentences, how to take different approaches to conversation, it gives you more complexity. It gives you a unique advantage. So yeah, my point was, you know, of course, all of those are advantages when looking at hiring somebody going full circle now. Uh, But I would look at hunger. I would look at coachability and then the sales experiences, is helpful. And like you said, in the old days, if you had a Rolodex or a network, you know, if you're in medical sales and you know a bunch of doctors you could approach right off the bat and bring them on board, great, that helps. Uh, but generally speaking, if we're thinking long term, those aren't the, the first qualities I would look yeah. at. That's a, I, I like that philosophy a lot because I've always seen sales as a problem solver. Like you get, pay, you get paid to solve pains. And, and that's ultimately what you're doing is you're selling a solution to a specific pain. So I totally agree. Um, yeah, uh, on to, so we talked when we did our, our intro last week, just to, to meet, we talked a lot about how not only is your successful life and what you wanted business oriented, but it's also very much centered around health and fitness. And that's a really big part of your career. So how did that come to be and what are, um, I guess we'll just start there. Yeah. What, what got you into fitness and health? So I was always into health and fitness. And, um, when I was younger, I was very much into just working out, uh, weightlifting and, uh, my first couple of sales roles and positions were in health and fitness related companies. Mm. And I've worked in the fitness field from all angles, from the sales side, from the bigger chain uh, of gyms and facilities side, uh, from the personal training side, from the nutrition side with nutrition and supplementation companies. So I've worked in in fitness from basically all angles. uh, And it's always been something that I was passionate about. And um, I always just knew that I want to take care of myself. This is the vehicle. My first and most valuable mentor, Jim Rohn, used to always say, uh, take care of your body because it's the only place you have to live. Right? If you think about it, your body is your only home, realistically speaking. 
Uh, you you are the body you carry around with you. Your energy makes a big difference. Yeah. Uh, there's another saying: your fitness is your business. Uh, there's a direct correlation. So if you want just health, energy levels, longevity, all of that, I think long long term, you want to be healthy. So it's always been a priority for me, and that gradually led into uh, what I'm more passionate about, which is uh, sports, mixed martial arts, and um, a lot of biohacking stuff. So I love to do uh, fasting and uh, supplementation and uh, a whole lot of other factors when it comes to biohacking. So it's always been a priority yeah. of mine. I, longevity is a priority of mine. You know, it's uh, yeah. That's, I, have, I like that. I have a funny goal that I share all the time that I'll tell you on here as well. Uh, you know, as if it's a secret between us and not your audience. <laughs> uh, but my personal, real deep down goal is to live forever. I would love to live, forever. dude. I say that. All the time. Well, not all the time. I guess I don't really say it out loud. But in my head, my, one of my hot takes, people are like, oh, I mean, like when it's my time to go, bro, I want to live as fucking long. If I make it to 140, dope. Like I, I obviously I'd like to be, you know, functional at that age, too. But I'm just saying, like, I would love to live for a long time. I, and that's 100%. always been a hot take of mine because some people are like, oh, I wouldn't want to make it old because then my body's not working the way it should. It's like, yeah, but you can take care of it. Like there are I ways. I think with modern medicine I'd be a cyborg and technology, if I could. yeah, exactly. We have hope. We have hope. I think I, I also <laughs> never understand when people say, you know, uh, you wouldn't want to live forever. It'll get boring. It definitely wouldn't. I wouldn't mind doing my, you know, day to day every day. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it now. I don't want it to end now. Why would yeah. I want it to end at some future point? It just makes no sense. Uh, personally, for me, I would love to live as long as I possibly could. Hopefully, by the time we're old, we have the technology to live forever in one form or another. Uh, maybe we can download our brains into an AI or something. I don't know, into uh, whatever. Yeah. You know, fly us to Mars. We'll just colonize there. We'll be there for the next few <laughs> hundred years. Whatever it takes. But personally, I would love to live forever. One, because I just have a genuine curiosity and I really want to know where everything goes. I want to yeah, I want to be here that's it. when we're traveling the universe, all of that, right? So I'm very fascinated and curious just about uh, everything. I'm very curious about life. So. I would want to live forever. So for me, I genuinely think of it like that. When I'm eating less, when I'm fasting, I heard a saying once, eat 30% less, live 30% longer. Immediately thought to myself, where do I cut 30% out of my day-to-day -day diet? I'm going to follow that advice. I'm going to pursue that because yeah, oh, I, I want to live 30% longer. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't snack. So I've, I've basically cut it to the main, to the main uh, areas. But yeah, for me, I, I do anything and everything that I can. Yeah. I don't smoke. I don't drink. Um, it is what it is. And, and I'm, I'm not interested. To me, it doesn't feel like it's a, it's labor. People always say, you know, you don't, you don't drink. Like that's like a big sacrifice. That's not a sacrifice for me. For me, a sacrifice would be, you know, giving up years. For me, a sacrifice would be not feeling good about myself and pursuing my potential, yeah. you know? So anyways. Yeah, I've been... That's yeah, that's really fascinating. I really like that. I've been uh, learning, like trying to be a, a lot better about taking supplements. So I'm curious what like kind of supplements you're taking, but at the same time to your, to your point of living forever. Yeah. That's something I thought about. Also, it's like, you could never really learn everything there is to learn like that. Isn't that the, the basis of the line between science and philosophy is like the more questions we answer, the more questions there are. Like you could yeah, never, the more we know, the more we know, we don't know anything. Yeah. Basically. See, I, I feel like there's always, you could be doing something, you know, maybe one lifetime you learn to be a doctor, another lifetime you're an entrepreneur. Like, I don't know. 
that's just me. Yeah, but I don't know if I, I'd waste it on being a doctor, but yeah, I'm just um, all I the mean, doctors are pissed off now. Yeah, I've, I feel like after a thousand years of life, you'd be, you'd kind of dabble. You'd get you'd get a little bored, you know. You'd, so you'd that's the other challenge. side, right? Yeah, that's what people argue usually. You know, yeah. if you if you take that logic and hypothetically philosophizing, you know, if you live forever to infinity, you would have done everything and experienced everything, and then yeah, but I don't think we'll get, ever, quote unquote, yeah, as people get bored, everything like do everything. I think they'll always. I, be I more personally questions. think, yeah, I think even if we do everything, I still wouldn't be bored. I love life. Again, I'm always grateful, never satisfied. I would love to keep this going just like I don't want it to end today. I wouldn't want it to end at any future point either. There's a famous saying, Charlie Munger, one of my favorite people says, he says, uh, show me where I'm going to die so I can avoid going there. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that quote recently. That's funny. I I like that a lot. Um, Yeah. There was one more. Oh, you asking about supplementations and health. Yes. But real quick, I did want to say of my values, like I have five top values. Curiosity is number two. That's a very big one for me. Uh, and mm. that's, I totally, I'm in accordance right there. That's good. All right. Yes. Supplements. What kind of supplements are you taking? Sure. Just before I answer that, now I have to comment on what you yeah. said, because <laughs> it's so funny how, you know, we're very similar and yeah. we got the, con- we got the podcast started and, uh, we connected before we even got recording. And now that we're recording and digging even deeper, I'm realizing there's a lot of similarities yeah. and, uh, it's interesting. I feel like we could talk and, uh, have a genuine conversation for hours and hours, uh, I'm very in tune with that as well. Ever since I was young, a compliment I would get just randomly was that I'm curious. People would always say, oh, you're so curious. You're a very curious person. People would always tell me that. So that was almost yeah. like an image reflected on me. Agreed. And uh, yeah, the older I get, the more I realize I genuinely am. And again, I think that's what made me really good at sales from the very get-go. Because again, I have to be completely honest with you. People always say, share the failures so people can resonate. I understand that. And I've had my fair share of failures. But I also want to be real. You know, when I first got into sales, I crushed it. Every company I worked in, I set all the records. In the first two weeks, I was a top salesperson in the entire company, sometimes in the entire industry. And it usually would take me about two weeks, even with products and services I never knew. And that I think there's lessons to draw from that. You don't have to be demoralized by that. Draw some lessons and make sure that's you as well. Um, and I think a big part of that was because, again, my approach to sales is not have a positive attitude. It's have a solution-oriented attitude. Uh, you can be extremely positive and just be a positive idiot who doesn't close any deals and doesn't have any value, right? I'd rather be solution oriented. It already implies positivity. If I'm looking at solutions, I'm optimistic, right? So for me, it was always very curious in, you know, objection handling in a deal. I would ask genuinely curious questions to get to the bottom of things so I could find the real root problem and solve it. And that genuine curiosity was what made me a really good problem solver. So just wanted to circle back to that. Yeah. Okay. Now I have to say it real quick. What I noticed the, the super powerful thing about true curiosity, like when you're actually genuinely interested and what I think is so good about that is that there, there's no room for bias because bias isn't there. You're not asking for some reason you're asking out of Mm. learning some sort of thing that you didn't know before. There's no, like, this is positive. This is negative. This is like, Oh, I'm, Mm. I'm trying to have like, front my own agenda or anything like true curiosity comes from like this hunger to learn and there is no good or bad or left or right or up or down like there is none of that that exists there it just is it's just like truth just is and that's what you're trying to do when you're curious is find out what is true and i think that's Mm -hmm. that's what 
leads it to be so i've I've been talking a lot about active listening that's what makes active listening so good it's hard for me to pay attention normally I'll, i'll admit like i'm all over the place most of the time the reason i've managed to shape myself into a better listener is because i come from a place of wanting to learn and then i'm interested and when i'm interested then you're paying attention so I think the same works for sales is like the product, like, yes, knowing the product is really going to help you in sales, but also more important than that is knowing the problem because then you can f- see, does my solution solve that or not? And you can just as quickly find this is a person I want to target versus this is a person I don't want to target, which I feel like is, uh, is something that could take salespeople a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, product knowledge is always secondary. Sales knowledge is always primary. And that's always been my focus. That's always what I've taught. That's always proven to work. And uh, that's, that would definitely be my recommendation to your audience as well. And uh, I want to circle back to your question around supplements and yeah. health. Um, I don't think supplements is where you should start or where the focus should be. I think uh, you should focus on the two spectrums. By the way, just really quick disclaimer. I'm not a health expert. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a personal trainer. This so is not financial advice. This is not advice yet. Take this however you like to take it. I'm telling you my experience. I can only speak from my own experiences. There are two areas, uh, health and nutrition. And then there is, uh, or nutrition and supplementation is what I meant to say. And then there is uh, physical exercise or yeah. activity, right? So I would look at both and see where I, what I want to pursue. Again, it goes back to the North Star like you have with your goals in business. Um, when it comes to supplementation and nutrition and how I choose to eat, personally, what's worked really well for me, and I've been doing this for over three years now consistently, like every day, this is how I live. It's been about three and a half years now uh, where I do intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding, right? Whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm not, you know, on the exact hour or minute with it. It's become a natural intuitive thing that I do now. So I usually, uh, I'm fasted till about 11 AM or noon every day. And that's when I have my first meal or I break my fast. Uh, so I just have black coffee in the morning and I'm up super early. So from early morning till, uh, that time I'm just having black coffee and, um, pretty much from there, break my fast. I have my eating window till the evening time, 6 PM, 8 PM. Uh, usually about eight or so, I want to wrap it up and then fast for the rest of it. So if I can do an 18 hour fast every day, great. That's usually what I do. Sometimes I extend it even longer. Uh, if I do a 16 hour, that's good too. Uh, but I usually try to keep it within that range. That's day to day. Every now and then I'll do you know a ridiculously longer fast. I've done up to uh, 72 hours. I'll do wow. 24 hour fasts, no problem here and there. Sometimes I'll do a 48 hour. Uh, just recently, actually, I had an injury playing soccer. I injured my uh, tibial plateau in my right knee. Uh, it was a tibial plateau fracture. Thankfully, I didn't need surgery, but my knee was in a cast. I was on crutches and all that. So uh, leading into that, I did a 48 hour fast just to reset everything because I know there's a lot of benefits on a hormonal level and cellular level to fasting. Uh, and I incorporated a whole lot of other things to uh, heal up uh, faster. And it definitely worked. Um, got myself off crutches and yeah. record time. The doctor was, you know, just impressed. But so fasting is a big one for me. I do longer ones every now and then, but I uh, do intermittent fasting on a day-to-day basis. In terms of eating, I keep it very structured and very clean. I think it's not about what works. It's about what works for you. And I think that's an important area to, to think about because you need to do something you're going to sustain for the long term. So what do you want to do? What works for you? For me personally, I've never really been into snacks and stuff anyways. Uh, sweet stuff is uh, my area of weakness that I get cravings for. 
So that was the difficult area that I had to manage. But you know, for me, an easy solution is just not have it around. Yeah. If I don't have it in the house, if I don't have it around, I'm not tempted. So instead of trying to fi- fight my own uh, motivation or willpower, I just use discipline. And I just don't have it there in the first place. Yeah. Um, so figuring out how you want to eat, and then I would look at supplementation. So supplementation will really be the last additional factor to uh, sort of fill in the gaps. And then, of course, on the physical side, I would look at what I want to do. Are you looking to build strength? Are you looking to uh, do more hypertrophy work and build muscles and so on? Are you looking to uh, add speed or cardio to your to your game, to your life? Um, are you looking to play sports? Are you training for something particular? For me personally, I stepped away from the bodybuilding and weightlifting world, and I love to uh, play soccer. It's always been a passion of mine, so yeah. I still play um, on a team and everything. So I, I'm in that competitive atmosphere, and uh, I do a lot of martial arts. So to me, those are the areas of activity, and that's what I train for. So when I'm in the gym, I have a simple, uh, what's it called, uh, three-day split uh, push-pull legs, and uh, it's mainly around strength training. And then it's coupled with a lot of uh, cardio work because, again, I'm geared towards yeah. uh, my sports. So yeah, it's very clearly totally agree. Yeah, very clear uh, categories, and then I just get after it. I'm trying to get back into martial arts. I, I'm looking for a jiu-jitsu school. Uh, but yeah, you, you said a lot of great things. On to, so on to the very first part. I think the most important thing is to know yourself. And what I've been doing to do that, I've been trying to get some blood work done just to, to see the you know, internal, what is it called? Like vitamin levels, hormone levels, everything like that. And one thing I learned, and this is why I suggest people get to know themselves and do something like that, is that it's actually not beneficial for me to do fasting, like intermittent fasting because of my blood sugar. Like I would just be at risk for something else. And that's not to say if I go, you know, three days without eating, I just want to try it. That's not going to kill me. That's not going to hurt me really. But if I'm consistently like in to your case, three to five years of intermittent fasting, like I could develop something. So I would say like definitely find, get to know yourself, get to know what works for you. Mm -hmm. Try a bunch of different things if this isn't something you really tried. But then again, yeah, I'm not an expert. So whatever works for you. Yeah. And, and have you heard, have you read the book thinking fast and slow? Yep. Yeah. That, so what you just said really touches on. Uh, on the discipline part of not having things with you. So the part that I just got to in that book is, um, what is it called? I can't remember the specific term that they use, but basically like our motivation, our our discipline and our self-control draws from the same pool of energy as our emotions and are like mental things, physical labor, like they all exist in the same energy pool. And so your discipline, if you've had a strenuous day, your discipline's going to be down. Your self-control, you're going to be more likely to give into temptation. And I noticed for me, one of the best things I could have done was to not carry around the things. I'm a sweet tooth as well. If I don't, if I have chocolates in the house, chances are eight o'clock after a busy day, I'm going to have a chocolate. So if I know that about myself, so if I don't have it around, it just, it's, you know, one less problem solved. Maybe I'll go have some fruits instead. Um, so yeah, totally, totally agree that just keep it out of the house. That's a good self-control and discipline rule. It's, uh, it's just like you said, there's actually another book. It's called willpower. Simple enough. Uh, I read this a long, long time ago. This is literally years and years ago. Um, and it basically talks about this, how your willpower depletes as you exercise your will on different decisions throughout the day. A lot of entrepreneurs, famously Steve jobs and Mark Zuckerberg today, and all these guys, you know, wear the same black shirt, 
I do it too, by the way. It wasn't inspired by those guys. It was simply because I do a lot of meetings. I'm on a lot of calls, a lot of podcasts. I'm on camera a lot. And I don't want to think about what am I going to wear. And I'm not in the corporate or B2B world anymore. So I don't want to wear a suit and tie uh, by choice. So for me, simple black shirt works well. That's what I always wear. So same philosophy, right? Uh, But all these guys, you know, historically uh, wear the same thing over and over again and just kind of they want to remove that decision from their day to day because they have so many higher priorities and other decisions to make. So absolutely. And it's an easy fix. Again, I'm the type of person that works for me. It's an all or nothing approach. You know, if I don't want to have it, there's no way, like you said, I can have something that I want within reach and uh, not, you know, not give into that. Yeah. Um, if I, you know, if I've had a long day, exhausting day, whatever, I uh, now I just want to recharge. I'm going to give into that. So for me, yeah, I just rather not have it there. And then you build a whole new identity. This is what people I think have to understand when it comes to health, fitness, but also when it comes to your business, when it comes to success, a lot of things that you think you couldn't live without, or you, it's not, it's just not you, or you can't even conceive of. These are things that it's just a part of what your identity is right now. That's who you believe you are right now. If you just get through the hard part, give yourself a couple weeks, give yourself a month with a new identity, that's who you are now. That's Those are your habits now. You know, We are yeah. creatures of habit. And uh, I think it's easy enough to just change that. And uh, I don't know. To me, it's, it's easier to just have a hard stop, make the change, uh, and then go through the hard part and get used to that. And that's who you are now as opposed to slowly try to yeah, the, wean yourself off of something. The identity thing is really important for forming habits. And the other thing, um, I'm trying to remember what we were talking about. Oh, oh, the discipline thing. Yeah, I, I read somewhere, and it's really true, is the people with the most self-control are the ones who have to use it the least. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, discipline is huge. I think uh, Jim Rohn used to say, discipline is the bridge between who you are and who you want to be. So there's who you are. There's who you want to be. The bridge in between is discipline. <laughs> and yeah. uh, where, knowing everything that I know today, I would 1000% agree with that. Uh, and I exert a lot of discipline in every aspect of my life. And uh, it's probably one of my highest values. Somebody I would refer everybody to for discipline who can speak on it better than I do and speaks on it more often than I do is Jocko Willink. Jocko Willink, the uh, Navy SEAL. Yeah. Um, great guy to listen he's to. Got some, he's got some great books. Yeah, he's got a couple of great books, uh, Extreme Ownership and all of that. He's up at 4.30 a.m. every single day. Um, and, you know, he talks about discipline. Discipline equals freedom. And he talks about that concept all the time. So I think it's huge. I think discipline is something that everybody needs to work at and uh, it should be a priority. Yeah, I actually, the first time I came across the discipline equals freedom concept was was not from him. It was actually in like an artistic, creative pursuit. It was in the book, The Artist's Way, I believe. Um, or there was something else. There was some kind of book that kind of helps you for creativity. And it was basically saying like... The War of Art? Yes, yes, The War of Art. Because it was... Uh, well, yeah, one of my favorite quotes from that book is, I... I only write when inspiration strikes. I'm just lucky it strikes every day at 9 a.m. sharp. And <laughs> yeah. I to, love that. Yeah. To me, it's like this thing that you it doesn't matter what pursuit you're in. Like think about how how different, but not honestly that different, uh art and business are or can be. It's 
I guess that like the where you're drawing that inspiration from it comes from a completely different place. Like the your expression of self versus solving someone else's problem for money. Those are two different things. But at the same time, it's like the the ways to get good are kind of the same. It's just do it as much as you can until like do what you love, do it as many times as you can. And uh, the, the other thing that I really liked that came from that book was quantity over quality. Because when you take care of the quantity, quality sorts itself out. The more you mm-hmm. produce, the better you'll find. And, and to me, I see that as iteration in business. The more you produce, the more you try, the more you ship out, someone's going to attach some sort of resonation with one of those things. And then you're like, oh, okay, double down on that. Then you start iterating on that version. Um, and I see that, I don't know, in art, the more the more that you produce, you're probably likely to have something good rather than trying to focus on making one thing the best. Absolutely. First of all, I love that book. Uh, not to be confused with The Art of War by Sun Tzu. The yeah. War of Art. Stephen Pressfield. Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, it's a great book. And uh, I'm 100% with you. This is uh, right up my alley. It's what I believe in. It's what I practice. That's why I'm up early every day and focused on my main priorities. Um, it's it's a huge factor. And like you said, when you were saying uh, the more you do something and how quality follows quantity, I was just thinking about sales. You know, the, the more calls you make, the more prospects you get in front of. At the end of the day, it's going to be the law of averages. The higher your results are going to be. I tell my clients and people that I speak to all the time, your sales are a direct reflection of the number of leads. It's just a simple correlation. Yeah. The number of leads determines the number of sales. And of course, sales is revenue is what you're looking for at the end of the day. So you can be the greatest closer on this planet, the greatest salesperson, whatever. And you talk to one person. And even if you do get the deal, you have a hundred percent closing ratio. People talk about that all the time. You know, your closing percentage, closing ratio. I couldn't care less. So you have a hundred percent closing ratio, right? I talk to a hundred people. So I'm in front of more people, right? More prospects. I give my opportunity, my products, my services in front of more people. Yeah. I close 10 of them. I have a horrible closing ratio or percentage. I still brought in 10 clients. You brought in one client. I still brought in more bottom line, uh, you know, revenue or profits than you did, right? So it comes down to quality, quantity first and then quality it comes down to uh, doing something for a sustained period of time to get those results. Yeah. And uh, I think that's huge in sales. It's huge in business. And clearly it's huge in life. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I like that a lot. I like... Uh... I, I noticed, yeah, someone someone told me, the CEO of my company said all the, the greatest salespeople that he knows, because he came from a sales background, he was like, are the people who know prospecting. And he said, anyone who knows how to grab and find their own leads will be great at sales. You just have to do that. And he said that that's back when I was doing my cold calling job. And that was his way of being like, it all starts here at cold calling. All right, here's a phone. Yeah, I think he was trying to get you inspired, but I definitely uh, agree with him as well. Uh this is one thing about nowadays, younger people coming up in sales and in business, especially in the online world, they're seeing roles or positions for, let's say, uh, an appointment setter, uh, a closer, a lead gen role, right? So they see these uh, sections of sales as yeah. a position in itself. So they come in and I work with a lot of clients who are on my programs and uh, university platform, all of that who are doing this, right? And yeah. I hear it all the time. They say, you know, I'm an appointment setter. All I need to know is how to have a quick conversation and book an appointment. Or I'm a closer. All I need to do is get in front of somebody and show them the offer and then handle objections. And I tell all of them the same thing. You know, thankfully, I didn't grow up in this ecosystem. 
I came up when sales was more sales. If you're in sales, you got to get your own leads. You got to know how to prospect, how to qualify properly. You got to know how to do a presentation or demonstration of your products and services. You got to know how to handle objections, how to close a yeah. deal, how to present an offer or proposal. You got to know how to follow up. You got to know how to get in front of people. Like you, you're, you're in sales. You got to know all the skills. You're not an appointment setter. You're a salesperson. And the same is true today. It's just unfortunate that so many people are fooled by these positions or these things. So my advice to all these young people going into all these different positions would be become a professional at sales. Don't just you know say I'm an appointment setter, I'm a closer, I do this and that, and compartmentalize the skill. You can't compartmentalize a skill. That skill of sales, same goes for marketing, same goes for copywriting, same goes for public speaking. All these skills are extremely valuable when they're industry-proof and economy-proof and you can you have a proven track record yeah. that produces results. To do that, you need to know the full ins and outs. You need to master that skill, not just understand one small segment of it. And let's say, don't worry, somebody else handles the rest. You know, yeah. I'll pass it on to the next Although guy in my company. To, I know we were just talking about War of Art, but now on Sun Suit's Art of War, like those are all tactics, but you don't really get anywhere with tactics. Uh, you need the strategy. You kind of need to put them all together in... Mm -hmm in a, a unique order for every situation. Every battle is different. Every situation, every, not just every client, but like every year, every time you're, every quarter, every time you're trying to get, you know, hit your number, quota, whatever. Like, it's always going to be different. You, you're going to use the same playbooks sometimes, but I feel like the execution of it is never the same every quarter for quarter. Absolutely. They all come together. That's why I said, you know, you can't just compartmentalize it. Yeah. You have to know the ins and outs of sales in general to apply it correctly. And also, yeah, like you said, this is why I'm not a big fan of uh, scripts or people who rely on scripts. Scripts more, are more like a scaffolding. They're more like a structure for you to follow along. But scripts don't prepare you for real-time scenarios, real-time prospects. They don't prepare you for, uh, you know, good quality follow-up questions. And if you're relying on scripts, even if you memorize a script word for word, you're just not going to get the results that somebody who's well-trained is going yeah. to get. I've seen that hundreds of times. So that's not a theory to me. That's fact. That's reality. And uh, it's to your point exactly. To shift a little bit onto traveling. So that's mm -hmm. something you say you like to take a trip every quarter. And then you also like to take a nice trip in the summer. What are some of the more exciting places you've been to? Like where are you looking forward to? Yeah, so I can answer both those questions because I have a very specific answer for you since it's already uh, planned out. Uh, so yes, just to explain to the audience, I think this will be helpful for everybody. I used to have a rule for myself when I was younger. Every quarter, I would invest 5K into myself. And that was the top end of what I could potentially afford at that time. And uh, so that would be about 20K a year I've invested in myself. That could be courses, books, mentors, traveling to uh, business conferences. It was all business related. And uh, the year I started doing that, I essentially tripled my income. So there was no coincidence. Wow. Uh, that's why I always say invest in yourself. It's, it doesn't happen by accident, right? Uh, so then as I got older, I decided to adopt that same uh, rule, but extend it into uh, what I was looking for at that time, which is to continue to gain more perspective around business, around life, around the world in general. And um, I think perspective is very powerful. So I decided every quarter I'm going to travel. So that became, that was a, an extension of that same rule that I had before. And uh, nowadays, yeah, every quarter I like to take myself out of my current environment and go somewhere else. Even if it's just a road trip, it uh, doesn't matter, but you just need to get out of your current environment. Yeah. You can't see the full picture when you're in the frame. So you got to take yourself out of the frame to look at the full picture. So that's the purpose. And uh, usually summers, I'll do uh, four to six weeks 
to be honest, is always over five weeks. So let's just say five to six weeks because uh, I get excited when I'm planning. And I ended up extending it. Yeah. Uh, so I usually do five to six weeks of traveling. I, I usually cover multiple countries and uh, I've been to a lot of places. I mean, um, you know, obviously I come from Iran and I have visited back once since I've been here to answer your question at the very beginning of the podcast. Um, so I've been there, obviously. I've been to places like uh, South America, like Mexico and whatnot. Uh, I've been to uh, different parts of Europe, uh, Greece multiple times, been to Croatia, been to uh, Italy, the UK, um, you know, just a lot of different countries around there. And yeah. um, I'm planning in terms of uh, my next trips and what I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm planning a trip for Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. And nice. uh, I'm very excited for Morocco because it's I a different go to Morocco. culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's North Africa, which is a whole different continent. Of course, it's different than Europe. Uh, also, the Islamic influence there is different. The architecture is different. The culture is different. So a lot to learn, a lot to see. I'm sure I'm going to come back a whole new person with a lot more perspective, a lot more gratitude for the way we live and all the opportunities we have available to us. And that's really what I love most about travel. It's the perspective you come back with. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. So that's coming up. Yeah, dude, that's sick. I, w- I was actually, my family was supposed to take a trip to Morocco, but we had to switch it to Colombia. I can't remember why, but I was super excited. We were going to do this thing where you spend like a night in the Sahara and like under the stars. And then we were going to do this. Like I've always wanted to check out like the markets there. And it just sounds, it looks like such a beautiful country. Um, and then I did one of those DNA tests and I found that a majority of me comes from uh, areas around the Mediterranean. So it's like mainly Spanish, like Spain. And then I have some, I think it's Syrian or Jordan, like a good bit percentage there. And I've just always had this calling to the the Mediterranean, man. I've always loved it. I took a trip to Greece. It was one mm-hmm. of the most incredible, fantastic views and just environments. Uh, so I really want to check out Spain, maybe uh yeah. italy like that that side of the world no i agree with you and, and i love greece and uh, my fiance is greek so we go there every year we always nice. throw that into our trip that's so awesome and, uh, you know, i've been all over i speak a decent amount of greek now and uh it's, it's amazing i love it i love going there every year this year we're not going to go because the other travel plans are already taking up about six yeah. weeks so uh gonna skip out this year but uh we've been going pretty much every year for the last few years so i love it but i'm with you i think uh, like you, I've done my DNA testing as well. And when you see sort of the heritage and where you're from and yeah. all these things, it's interesting. You want to look more into it. You want to tap into that, again, source, that inspiration, which brings us full circle to the beginning of the podcast. You want to tap into that real source, that drive, and utilize that in your day-to-day. So yeah, and I'm excited so, for you to go to Morocco too. And, and it really is like sometimes it helps to know where you come from because a lot of that shit is in your dna like you still feel it i don't know how or why i could explain this to you but i've always felt a calling to the andalusian region of spain this past weekend just this weekend my mom was researching into our family she's like oh we come from this part of spain and i was like damn i no wonder i want to visit that area like it's just it's weird um but also to bring up your fiance real quick we talked in the past she is an incredibly good chess player and that's something that you guys do uh we can talk a little bit about chess so what's kind of like your experience in chess is it just playing her usually yeah it's really just playing her so i got the chessboard behind me so i get that question all the time and uh my answer is always very honest i'm personally not that good uh, I have that there for the symbolic reasons because I love the symbolism of it. I love just like I have statues here. These statues are actually from Greece, uh, so you know I is have that the one symbolism top left, there. Uh, Alexander the Great. 
This one, no, people usually think it's different people all the time. I actually didn't know who it was. Then I found out it's uh, David, the statue of David uh, in Italy. And I went and saw that last summer. I went to Italy. I saw the actual statue and stuff. So I found out later that's David. Uh, But it could be anybody you want it to be. It's just the head of an old Greek or Italian person. So, you know, Uh, this right here is um, from the Leonidas from the Spartans, uh, which is ironic because i'm persian my background is persian so uh the greek persian wars and all of that but i love it i love that history i take from both sides um and the chessboard here is more yeah it's symbolism for thinking like a grandmaster thinking 15 moves ahead thinking long term being strategic in your actions uh you know all these things are important to me so that's why i have the i have it there but yeah my fiance and uh, her sisters they're basically all grandmaster level they just destroy everybody in their path they're extremely good. They've been trained since childhood. So I stand no chance, and I'm not even trying to compete in that game. Yeah. I don't play games I can't win. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to waste hours and hours trying to learn that yeah. You know, if I know I don't have the time for it. So uh, that's why that's there. No, I, I get it. But I bet you're still way better than average if that's who you're learning from and playing with. I mm-hmm. noticed uh, just me. I've, I've mentioned plenty of times on the show. My brother's a musician, and music isn't – like I, I never set out to make a career in music. However, my brother is doing that. And he's also like an insanely talented musician, can play all these instruments, music theory, all of the whole thing. And I've noticed just me jamming with him. Like anytime I'm, I'm in a band now and I play yes, just yesterday I went with a random group of people and I was able to keep up very well and jam. Like all of this came from the fact that I have a brother that's so good. And whenever we play together, like that's who I'm learning from. That's where I'm at. So like my natural zero is just higher than average. And I feel like that's probably you with chess. If this is who you're playing with all the time. Like you might not be good because that's what you're comparing to. Like see that with my brother. But then when I became my own musician, like set off to play with this band and do my own shit, I'm like, oh yeah, I am actually good. I was just, you know, maybe unfairly comparing myself to an actual professional at this. Yeah, I think to your point, your level of competition always raises your standard, raises your level, which I think is a perfect analogy. Not that we want to keep this conversation going for hours and hours. Yeah. I feel like we could, uh, but this is a perfect analogy for uh, your environment, your friends, your network, your environment. The reality is you are the average of the people you hang around. And uh, to that concept of your competition, also the term is your level. Uh, it's the same thing. The the group you hang out with, the friends you're around, your environment really shapes your future. Your environment determines where you're going to be in the future. That's why I always tell people, you know, when you choose your partner, you choose your best friends, you choose who you spend your time yeah. with, uh, be very careful because you're choosing your future. That's what you're choosing. Yeah, I, I like that. I've never seen it as choosing your future, but that's that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, yeah, and with that, it's time for the closing questions, the final wrap-up, just a couple couple quick questions to get to know you and we'll we'll be on our way the first one is what kind of music do you listen to so two answers really i'll try to keep it quick though one i technically don't really listen to music much i'm always listening to podcasts and audiobooks uh that's pretty much always on the go i made that change when i was really young and now it sounds crazy to people but to me it's literally the most normal thing that i could do it's just if i'm working out if i'm driving uh if i'm doing something around the house and i just have my phone there it's either an audiobook or it's a podcast it's it's almost never music so i rarely listen to music but when i do i love music and i listen to everything i i can find uh good music in in quite literally everything whether it's just 
nice beats in the background while I'm doing some work, yeah. whether it's rap music to get me hyped up for a, for a workout, whether it's, uh, I don't know, uh, anything. I, I enjoy all varieties of music. I don't really judge. I listen to everything. Uh, but I guess the real answer would be I only listen to audiobooks and podcasts. Yeah, that, well, that was going to lead to the next one was what kind of movies or TVs do you recommend? I usually throw podcasts in there. Uh, but is it the same as that? Is it, do you not really watch uh, TV shows or movies? I don't watch TV shows because I don't have the time to commit to TV shows. And with my, again, knowing myself, I'm extremely curious. I'm not the type of person that can watch a show and wait 10, 12 weeks to finish it. <laughs> if I start a show, I'm usually done within three to five days. And I'm talking crazy shows that are like eight seasons long. Yeah. If I start something, I finish it. And I do it with the same urgency that I pursue my goals. It's the same thing. <laughs> I'm just very yeah. curious. I, I can't help it. I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I need to know the answers. So for that reason, I don't watch uh, TV shows. Again, I don't play games where I can't win. That's not a win to me. So I'm just going to yeah. opt out completely. That's a good point. Uh, but I do watch movies, right? Because again, it's uh, two hours or so. So I'll take the time. I'll watch a movie. I actually love movies and I've seen a lot of them and I look for inspiration in a lot of movies that I watch. So uh, I actually do love movies. Um, that being said, I would look at them differently as podcasts. I think podcasts and audiobooks are in a whole different category than movies and TV shows. One's more entertainment with the potential for inspiration and lessons. The other is strictly uh, personal education. Yeah, well, with that, what? so what kind of books are you reading right now? So I actually just finished uh, a military book. It was an autobiography on George Patton, General Patton. He's a very famous general in the U.S. military. Uh, he's very well known for his, uh, personality and some of the things yeah. he said and, you know, a couple of things he did. I actually he did a report a on Patton in like fourth grade or third grade. It stands out. I don't know why I was like really into that dude, but yeah, right. no, it's, yeah. um, my favorite quote from him is either lead me, follow me or get out of my way. Yeah. I love that. That was his personality. Yeah. My favorite <laughs> quote from him is he said, you need to have perfect daily discipline in all things. Now, that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about discipline, that's what inspires me. So yeah. uh, he had that mindset, that philosophy. I actually just finished his autobiography. Besides that, I'm reading a couple other books. I usually have multiple books on the go, uh, audios and hardcover. Um, I'm revisiting Charlie Munger's Poor Charlie's Almanac. It's a huge book with a bunch of quotes and texts in there. So I always revisit that from time to time. So I got a bunch on the go. Yeah, that's excellent. And final question, where can people find you? Any social platform, it's at Puya Hidari, my full name, YouTube, Instagram. Those are the best places where you can get a lot of my content, uh, but I'm also everywhere else. And if anybody from your audience reaches out, send, send me a message, feel free. I have my team on my social platforms. They'll handle it. Uh, let us know you're from Armand's uh, podcast and uh, we'll throw in a free gift. We'll do something for you. We'll help out uh, in any way that we can to you know uh, continue on this conversation. Yeah, excellent. I'll throw all those links in the show notes below. Uh, yeah, Puya, thanks for, thanks for coming on, dude. This was a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate it. And I learned a lot. I learned a ton on this one. Yeah. Just thank you. Thanks for, thanks for being on here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We were way more similar than I even thought to begin yeah, with. Right down so, to the black I, shirts. Exactly right. Uh, I genuinely enjoyed it. Thank you for your time as well. It was a pleasure. Have a good one.